Once upon a time, there was a little boy called Rufus who loved writing stories. Little Rufus dreamed of being a writer. So he stood in English literature. Don't tell him that he shit does, he might fight you. Even though it's true, even though he is second worst writer in the world. Second worst writer in the world. Second worst writer in the world. The second worst writer in the world. He's so mediocre, he can't even claim to be the worst writer. So if you think about it, he's actually worse than the worst writer in the world. Welcome to the worst writer in the world with me, Rufus, and he's got a hat on, he's smoking mm. a big <laughs> pipe, and he lives at 221B Baker Street. It's... How long? Oh, Yay. I thought it was Sherlock Holmes. No, no, With <laughs> that hat on, I thought you were Sherlock Holmes. All right. Well, thank you to the British Comedy Guide for hosting this show. Thanks to all of our saucy patrons on Patreon Ooh. for supporting this show. And thanks to you for listening to this show. All right, well, there's no time to waste. Let's get on with it, shall we, Howard? Yes, please. So, Howard, last week you gave me a writing challenge. I did, indeed. And it was a particularly difficult one because... You said I had to write a detective story, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, brilliant, I write detective stories all the time. I am a co-writer of perhaps the most famous detective in the Western canon, Gret Binchleaf. Yeah, and then I pointed out that Gret Binchleaf is definitely not a detective story, because it <laughs> isn't and it never has been. Yeah, like maybe for like, maybe been. for like no five mysteries. minutes... Yeah, very few murders, yeah. no mystery, no detecting, yeah. and a lot of going to space. Yeah. So the challenge was, right, a normal murder mystery mm. that has a murder in it, has some detective that, you know, solves the murder using clues, and no one goes to space. <laughs> and Gretchen <laughs> is not in it. And that was a real that was a real challenge. That was a real difficult challenge for me. And I'm looking forward to seeing you fail it. <laughs> How quickly do we get to space? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Once upon a time there was space. Mm. All right. <laughs> uh, well I don't I don't really the, the trouble is I don't really read detective fiction and I don't watch detective TV shows. Right. I, I don't really like detectives, oh. which is why Gret Binchley is never a detective in my chapters because yeah. I'm really bored by that. <laughs> you don't like detectives because they're always coming around trying to like pin that murder on you, aren't they? Yeah, the one that I did. Yeah, the I one mean, you did. Get, yeah. Leave me alone, detectives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but so far they haven't managed to. Yeah, yeah. So no, I, I don't know how um, my mum's head got in the fridge, Your Honour. <laughs> she probably put it there herself to mm. keep it fresh. Uh, yeah, so I did some research. I, you know, I read, I read some Raymond Chandler, and wow. I looked at some Sherlock Holmes, and I watched a rubbish TV show about an idiot. And I, and I'm just, I tried to get an idea of what the genre is like. So I'm going to do my best. You can tell me how well I do. Okay. Are you ready to hear it? I was brecked ready to hear it. All right. So my story is called "The Mystery of the Murdered Man." <laughs> The Mystery of the Murdered Man, Part 1, Jack Pistol Takes the Case. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> Jack Pistol. Yeah. Jack Pistol is my detective. Very right? much looking at noir detective then and not modern yeah. stuff. Okay. No. 
It was a cold night in January. <laughs> the type of cold that makes your teeth ache and your nipples stand to attention like generals. Which was what my nipples were doing at that very moment. They were so much like generals, I was scared they might declare war on my belly button. <laughs> and I didn't want my nipples to declare war on my belly button. If anyone was going to attack my belly button, I'd rather it was a smoking hot woman attacking it with her boobs. But smoking hot women... I'd rather it were a smoking hot woman attacking it with her boobs. Shh, shh, shh. No, it's completely different. Okay, it's completely different. All right. But smoking hot women never attack my belly button with their boobs because the world's a messed up place and I'm just one man trying to make a difference to boobs. But I digress. The night was cold and my office was colder. It had been a month since I'd had a paying client and so I couldn't afford to turn on the three-bar electric heater. Not if I wanted to have enough cash to buy a potato for dinner. And I did want that, because if I couldn't afford a potato, I'd be having a plate of air again. And man cannot live on air alone, even if it is on a plate. <laughs> so this detective, um, like, likes chips, <laughs> but in their, no, raw their, unsli raw their unsliced form. <laughs> this detective You would never catch Brett Minchley eating chips. potatoes. <laughs> And he's not very good at his job. Yeah, it's a completely new detective that I've invented. Brilliant. All right, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're on board. And man cannot live on air alone, even if it is on a plate. I was sitting at my desk and reading a free newspaper that I could still barely afford. On the front page was the story of a high-profile murder that had happened the night before. Lord Egbert Mortimer the owner of several streets in a large department store in London, had been found murdered. The headline said, Lord Egbert dies under mysterious circumstances. But I barely had a chance to look at the details before the green mist of envy clouded my eyes. This was the kind of case that could cement a detective's reputation for life, put concrete boots on his reputation and drop it in the Thames where no one could touch it. But I... I had about as much chance of being hired to investigate it as I had of growing an extra head and calling it Susan. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. I wrote it and didn't really read it back. It's good. I think I know who did it, though. <laughs> Go on. No, because it will be, and then it will have spoiled it. Spoiled it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I threw the newspaper in the trash and sucked. You might be right, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried you're correct now. Oh, definitely no, yeah. No, it's going to be a complete surprise. Okay. <laughs> I threw the newspaper in the trash and sighed heavily. Mm. I was about to give up on the day and make my way to the potato shop to buy dinner when there was a <laughs> knock at my door. I smoothed down my hair, buttoned my jacket, and checked whether or not I was wearing trousers. Mm. I wasn't, so I sat back down behind the desk and pretended to smoke a pencil. <laughs> so this detective sometimes doesn't have trousers on. Yeah, and has to grow them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. No, he doesn't. He doesn't grow, he doesn't grow clothes. Come in, I shouted. The woman who walked into my office was so hot you could have fried bacon on her. <laughs> if you had any bacon, which I didn't because I was poor. Mm. She had legs like a shaved gorilla. <laughs> if the gorilla you shaved turned out not to be a gorilla, but actually a good-looking woman with gorilla hair glued to her legs. <laughs> her lips were so red I wanted to post a letter in her mouth. <laughs> 
and she looked at me like I was Obi-Wan Kenobi, and she was a tiny hologram in a droid asking me for help. <laughs> Are you the private detective? She asked. The name on the door says Jack Pistol, because that's my name and it's my door. The P.I. after it stands for Private Investigator, not Pig Impressionist. <laughs> because I investigate things and I don't say oink while I'm doing it. I may not be successful or popular or particularly good at my job, but when you hire Jack Pistol, you know exactly what you're getting. An old-fashioned gumshoe who shoots first and asks questions later. Questions like, why did I shoot my client? <laughs> before asking her what she wanted. She might have paid me. And then, maybe I wouldn't need that second job as a pig impressionist. Mm. I want to hire you, Mr Pistol, said the broad, to investigate my husband's murder. It's a mystifying case that has the police flummoxed. Mm. Did they find his body up a chimney? Because, <laughs> because that usually means a gorilla did it. Yeah. No, they found his body in the most surprising of places. It was under... Don't cloud my mind with pointless details, I said. I have an investigative method and it's never failed me yet. Except on all those cases where I didn't catch the murderer, which is all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then where do you want to start? The first step is to establish a motive. Why would someone want to kill Lord Egbert Mortimer? Well, my husband was extremely rich. Extremely rich, I said, as I made a note in my pad. And he was involved in organised crime. Organised crime. And he was notoriously rude to people. And he had an unusually long penis, which he would take pictures of and then he'd glue them into a photo album and show it to guests when they came round for dinner. Penis glue dinner, I abbreviated. <laughs> he was a prolific womanizer, and a prolific manonizer, And when he couldn't persuade people to have sex with him, he would do it with a dog instead. He was a prolific doganizer. <laughs> Tell me, Lady Mortimer... Who do you think killed your husband? I couldn't say. What's your instinct, Lady Mortimer? It's just that he was killed in such an unusual manner. Forget that, I said. I didn't want to get distracted by tangential details like how the corpse snuffed it. Tell me who you feel murdered him. I suspect it was his brother, Mungo Mortimer. Ooh. Because... Mungo was always jealous of Egbert's massive penis. Mm. And Egbert stole all Mungo's money and spent it on photo albums and glue. <laughs> <laughs> and Egbert slept with Mungo's wife and Mungo's daughter and Mungo's dog. Mm. And Mungo told me he was going to kill Egbert <laughs> and asked me to help. Listen, sweet cheeks, I said, because I think the best way to impress a woman is by talking to her like she's a child you want to have sex with. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not start jumping to conclusions. Jumping. I don't like conclusions and I don't like jumping. <laughs> so jumping to conclusions is a real no-no. I have no patience for waffling 
or waffles. I keep my breakfast simple and my relationships simpler. I like hard-boiled eggs and soft-boiled women. And I don't mean I boil women for less time than I do eggs. Although, in a sense, I do, because <laughs> I boil eggs for three and a half minutes and I don't boil women at all. Did anyone else have a reason to kill your husband? I asked, because every good detective knows it's never the first person a dame mentions. Mm. It could have been the butler, Mr. Stabbings. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a history of murder <laughs> and spent 30 years in prison for bludgeoning his old boss to death with a ham, mm. said Lady Mortimer. And Egbert did used to shout at him so. And he gave him a pay cut last week mm. and had sex with his dog. <laughs> when you said he was a dogonizer, you weren't blowing smoke, I said. And of course, there's our son. Shortimer Mortimer. <laughs> he stands to inherit the estate and the title and all the dogs. The used dogs. The used dogs, yes. And poor Shortimer has never really forgiven Egbert for christening him Shortimer. <laughs> but in Egbert's defence, Shortimer Mortimer was awfully short when we named him. I took a bottle of cheap brandy from my desk drawer and fetched two glasses from the bookshelf. I poured two generous measures, then drank them both before Lady Mortimer could steal one. <laughs> I'll take your case, I said. I'll take it and I'll open it and I'll put my pants and socks in there. Then I'll get on the investigation train to Salisville and by the time we arrive, I'll know who murdered your husband and why. Don't you want to know... How it happened, it was quite unusual. When I eat a cheese sandwich, I don't need to know how it was made. I bite it and I swallow. Sometimes I even chew. I don't call the sandwich chef and ask for a detailed rundown on how it was constructed. The fact was, I already had a pretty good idea of the culprit. This dame had burst into my office and begun listing the names of the people who might have killed her husband. She was far too eager to shift the blame. Mm. And every good detective knows the simplest answer that you arrive at based on no evidence is usually the right one. <laughs> if a man gets murdered in his own home, you can bet your sweet bippy backside that the wife did it. We're looking for someone who's good at crimes, <laughs> I said. <laughs> Fixing Lady Mortimer with the trademarked Jack Pistol steely stare. A criminal, you might say. And where do criminals go? Um, prison? Uh, criminal school? Uh, crime island? <laughs> <laughs> no. Criminals return to the scene of the crime. So you'd better take me to your house so we can wait for him there. <laughs> I stood up and led Lady Mortimer to the door. Aren't you... Going to put some trousers on first. No one ever solved a murder because they were wearing trousers, I said. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is yeah, a true fact. And I think better with the breeze in my butthole. <laughs> we made our way out into the chill night air. I'd have this case closed by bedtime. My name would be all over the news and I'd never have to eat a raw potato for dinner ever again. 
Mystery of the Murdered Man, Part 2, The Adventure of the Narrow Staircase. It was a Thursday, if memory serves, when Mr. Adelbert Plank and I were summoned from our rooms in Great Portland Street to the scene of a most peculiar murder. Our dear friend and stalwart of the London Constabulary, Inspector Shinwell Thornycroft, had requested our consultation in a case which he described as highly perplexing and seemingly supernatural. Mm. Of course, Adelbert Plank's interest was thoroughly piqued, and we made no pantomime of filling our tobacco pouches, donning our winter hats and greatcoats, and exiting our rooms to make journey to a house on Hyde Park Corner, where the murder had occurred. <laughs> Upon arrival, the butler, a man named Stabbings, showed us to a well-appointed drawing room where I set about pouring myself a generous measure of mid-morning claret, and Adelbert paced the length and breadth of the room, a troubled frown knitting his brows together like a pair of badly made mittens. I seated myself on a leather settee and took a quiet moment to assemble my pipe. Now, Splotson, said Adelbert, because my name is Splotson and he is often known to use it. I don't doubt that you have observed what is out of the ordinary in this room. Well, it is more expensive than I'm used to, I said, observing the gold fireplace and diamond-plated windows. <laughs> but at the same time, the curtains and upholstery are of a style not popular for at least a decade, suggesting that the room hasn't been redecorated in that duration, possibly longer. Adelbert nodded approvingly, but didn't speak, which communicated to me that I hadn't yet hit the nail on its naily head. <laughs> I scanned the room, searching for the detail to which Adelbert was alluding. Also remarkable, I ventured, is the fact that this drawing room, whilst ordinary in most respects, does have a car parked in it. <laughs> I gestured with my pipe at the purple automobile that was dripping oil on the Isfahan rug. Precisely, exclaimed Adelbert. Precisely, exclaimed Adelbert. Precisely. <laughs> he knew my name, but I wasn't clear on his. Precisely, exclaimed Adelbert. A typical room on the third floor of a commonplace residence with a sports car parked in its centre. Mm. A car which apparently ran over Lord Egbert Mortimer as he sat in his favourite chair and idly pencilled a portrait of his lovely wife. Frightfully unfortunate thing, getting run over in your own home. Indeed. And, moreover, an impossible thing. Mm. A car in Lord Mortimer's drawing room? How on earth did it get here? Well, I said, perhaps... It drove in. <laughs> drove in? Yes, perhaps it drove in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would seem the most logical deduction, Splotson, said Adelbert, causing a little flush of pride to redden my cheeks. But it fails to account for three factors. Oh, I said, somewhat crestfallen. And they are? This is the third floor, as I remarked a moment ago, said Adelbert. The stairs to this room are far too narrow to accommodate a car, 
as are the stairs to most rooms. And there is no hole in the wall, nor ramp up which to drive a vehicle. There simply is no way to manoeuvre a car into this room. Could someone have made a hole in the wall, driven the car up a ramp, then taken the ramp away and rebuilt the wall? But, as you observed yourself, this room has not been redecorated in at least a decade. And we can see that the wallpaper is undisturbed. Mm. Then perhaps they took the roof off and used a crane to lower the car in. But this room is not on the top floor of this domicile. I very much doubt that one could remove not only the roof, but also the master bedroom and attic storage space, mm. even with the use of a crane. Could someone have taken the car apart, carried the smaller pieces up the stairs, then reconstructed it on the rug, I suggested? Yeah. Yeah. I would have thought so too, cried Adelbert. But that does not account for these. Adelbert drew my attention to the two long marks on the carpet behind the vehicle. Are they skid marks? They are. And, as I'm sure you're aware, Splotson, cars do not tend to leave marks such as these unless they are travelling at some speed and applying their brakes. Mm. If someone had constructed the car in this very room, these marks would not be in evidence. In fact, these tyre marks prove one thing and one thing alone. What's that, Plank? I asked. Because his name was Plank, and not because I had seen a plank and, did, and didn't recognise it. <laughs> this car appeared here, on this side of the room, already travelling at speed. It applied its brakes and managed to stop where we now find it. But not before hitting this poor fellow and killing him, I said, pointing to Lord Mortimer, who still lay beneath the vehicle, his eyes wide and full of dead. <laughs> Precisely, said Adelbert. What we have here, Splotson, is the first example of a man being run over by a car which appeared from nowhere in his own drawing room. But that's impossible, Plank, I said, because I was talking to Adelbert Plank. Not. <laughs> Not because I had seen an impossible plank. <laughs> so it would seem, said Adelbert, and it's our job to eliminate the impossible. So I hope you remember to bring a box of matches, because we might need to set fire to this car. We were interrupted then by the entrance of Stabbings, the butler. He was ushering in the Lady Emmeline Mortimer and a dour fellow sporting a battered old wide-brimmed hat, a grimy trench coat and absolutely no trousers on his spindly legs. Jack Pistol, P.I., said the man, holding out an ungroomed hand which both Adelbert and I declined to shake. And that's P.I. for private investigator, not pig impressionist. I'll be taking over this case, and I won't be saying oink while I do it. <laughs> we have the situation firmly under control, Mr Pistol, said Adelbert. We won't be needing your assistance, thank you. I can't help but notice there's a car parked in this room. Can someone remove it, please? I can't see the body with a car in the way. <laughs> That's what I've been trying to tell you, said the Lady Mortimer. My husband was run over. What, and you brought his 
body into your living room with the car still on it? <laughs> That's a damn suspicious thing for a grieving widow to do. Don't be ridiculous, man, said I. The car hit him in this very room. Lord Mortimer was run over by a car while sitting in his sitting chair and drawing in his drawing room on the third floor of his housing house. <laughs> <laughs> I glanced over at Adelbert to ensure that I wasn't speaking out of turn But he had taken out his magnifying lens And was utilising it to inspect the skirting boards mm. There's three things in this world I don't believe in Said Jack Pistol One of them is playing by the rules And the other two are cars suddenly appearing in rooms And running people over then how do you explain this most vexatious circumstance? queried Adelbert Plank, clambering to his feet and brushing down his ankle breeches. Mr Pistol didn't reply. Lady Mortimer's face fell into a highly disagreeable expression. Adelbert tapped out his pipe into the fireplace and set about arranging a line of cocaine for himself on the coffee table. <laughs> well, it seems we are all fully stumped, I observed. Whatever are we to do about it? The Mystery of the Murdered Man, Part 3 Ooh. Title card, Turtle Dove <gasps> Starring Jason Statham as Detective Inspector Turtle Dove Interior, Drawing Room, Day Wow we see a proper posh drawing room with a leather sofa and armchairs and a gold fireplace. <laughs> In the middle of the room is a purple sports car on top of a man. He, he is Lord Egbert Mortimer. He is dead because he's got a car on him. <laughs> Also in the room are Jack Pistol, a private detective with a cigarette between his lips and no trousers on his legs. Mm. Adelbert Plank an investigative consultant in a felt hat who is holding a magnifying glass. Bob Splotson, a man with a hairy moustache who is making fast work of a bottle of red wine. And Lady Emmeline Mortimer, a woman. <laughs> Another man enters the room. He is Detective Inspector Adrian Turtledove, a handsome man in his early 40s who looks like he'd shag you up against the wall while everyone watched if you asked him to. He is unshaven, his tie is loose, and he's carrying a paper cup of coffee which he waves about dangerously when he speaks. <laughs> who the shitting ass bollocks are you and what are you doing contaminating my crime scene? My name is Adelbert Plank. Myself and my companion... Bob Splotson, are here upon the <laughs> are here upon the request of Shinwell Thornycraft to consult on this most peculiar of cases. Why are you speaking like that? <laughs> like what? Like some kind of time travelling Victorian nonce with a dictionary <laughs> up his arse. <laughs> Is that what you are? A time travelling nonce come to the future to shag small boys? Why, most certainly not. <laughs> Note to self, arrest Plank for being a time nonce. <laughs> you want to be careful with notes like that. <laughs> you might accidentally arrest a Plank for being a time nonce. <laughs> Shut up, Splotson. <laughs> Inspector Turtledove, have you found my husband's murderer yet? 
Jesus, monkey balls, Christ, give us a chance. The bloke only died two hours ago. If I order a pizza and it doesn't arrive within 30 minutes, <laughs> I get it for free. I expect the same to be true of the police. You expect the police to bring you a shitting pizza? And solve my husband's murder while they're at it. I suggest you investigate my husband's brother, Mungo. And Stabbings, the butler. And our son, Shortimer Mortimer. <laughs> and I suggest you investigate Lady Emmeline Mortimer. What? She came to my office earlier and said she didn't do it and that someone else probably did. And she's hot. Real hot. Like a sweaty summer day wrapped in cling film and lard. If that's not the sign of a murderess, then I don't know what is. Who the fuck are you and why aren't you wearing any shitting trousers? Jack Pistol. P.I. A pig impressionist? Who called a fucking pig impressionist? I have a theory. What the dribble fuck are you shitting on about now? I have uncovered evidence. Cast your eyes here at the carpet and these scuff marks against the walls. And there are flecks of paint and splinters suggesting perhaps that a shipping container has been brought into this room. Mm. What the crapping cockwank are you twatting on about? It is my contention that the person who murdered Lord Mortimer was disguised as a shipping container. <laughs> Jesus shitting Christ. I haven't got time to listen to you amateur fuckwits tell me your fantastical ideas. I've got a murder to solve, a shitting murder, and I need to get it solved before 3pm, because then I have to get to court. Another case. Perhaps myself and Adelbert Plank can be of assistance. It's not a case, you rotting plum. It's my divorce proceedings. <laughs> It's been dragging on for months, and if I'm not there, my ex-wife is going to get custody of my beer. <laughs> you should arrest Lady Mortimer. She did it because she's a woman, and women have emotions, and that leads them to murder. What? Shut up, Pistol, or I'll ram your face so far down your throat you'll be able to smile at your penis. Turtle Dove takes a hip flask from his pocket, unscrews it, and takes a hearty swig. He is an alcoholic. <laughs> this and the divorce make him interesting. <laughs> right, let's take a look at this arsing mess of a shitting case. Turtle Dove walks around the room looking at things for ten minutes. <laughs> OK. <laughs> OK, I've solved it. And I didn't need help from any wanker PIs or consulting shitting detectives. You've solved it. This inscrutable mystery that confounded my own dear friend, Adelbert Plank, a man who has never once been stumped in his life. He's never been stumped. Not even that time when we went camping together and we got drunk and I offered to give him a damn good stumping and say nothing of it afterwards. Shut your pie hole, Splotson, and listen to a real detective do the job. I'm listening. I was intrigued to discover what this fellow might have concealed up his metaphorical sleeve that could have outwitted the great Adelbert Plank himself. Stop narrating spots <laughs> in your pointless pile of shit sandwiches. Sorry, I've solved this murder case by identifying that it's not a murder case at all. Clearly, this is an example of accidental death. Mm. This bloke got run over by a car and the driver scarpered, legged it before we could nick him. Case closed. I'm going for a drink because I'm an alcoholic and that makes me interesting. <laughs>
But that doesn't explain the singular nature of the crime scene. There is a motorised automobile in the middle of this room, which is hardly a conventional place for an automobile to be. How did it get here? And who is the mysterious murderer who steals his way around London disguised as a shipping container? Fuck you, Plank, you shitting pea-brained mug of knob cheese. <laughs> I've had enough of you fucking amateurs. I'm calling a real detective. Turtle Dove takes his mobile phone from his pocket. Well, I've never heard such ungentlemanly incivility. My friend Adalbert Plank is the finest mind of his age. There isn't a man alive who can outthink him or outstink him. I am terribly clever and terribly smelly. <laughs> Shut up, you plums. I'm trying to concentrate. We see Turtle Dove's phone screen as he scrolls through his contacts. Eventually, he gets to W and clicks on an entry listed as World's Greatest Detective. <laughs> he presses dial and holds the phone to his ear. Hello, Wendy? It's D.I. Turtle Dove here. Could you put me through to Gret Binchleaf? <laughs> the continuing adventures of Gret Binchleaf, the soft-boiled private dick with a crippling fear of pies. The Mystery of the Murdered Man, Part 4. The Plot, so far. Hooray! Brillo Splendillo <laughs> Detective. Gret Bitchleaf was sitting in his grown-up's chair one afternoon. <laughs> was sitting in his grown-up's chair one afternoon when a mysterious ringing sound came from his phone. <laughs> Yeah. It's never done that before, said me. Perhaps it's on fire. <laughs> Quick, evacuate. Wendy, you stay here and smother the fire with your ugly face. <laughs> Men and detectives first. <laughs> it's the phone, Gret. Wendy shouted back from her seat outside where I keep her. Well, what do I do with it? What does it want? Why can't the world leave me in peace? Answer it, Gret. It's that police inspector. He says he needs your help again. Detective Inspector Turtle Dove said me immediately, and not five <laughs> minutes later, after Wendy had explained who he was, how many times I'd met him, and showed me several pictures of him to jog my memory. But he actually paid me last time. I know, and he wants to hire you again. Then what are we waiting for? I said and picked up the phone three minutes later when I worked out what it was and how to answer it. <laughs> Hello, Greg Bidgeleaf, world's greatest sex gorilla. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Greg Bidgeleaf, world's greatest sex gorilla and also good at detectorising. How can I help you? D.I. Turtle Dove explained the case to me. Some rich pillar had been run over by a sports car in his own lounge. Hmm. There was no way to get a car into the room and no sign of damage to the walls. The wife was distraught, the son was a suspect and there were two other detectives already on site. It was going to be the challenge of my detectorial life. Wow. I grabbed my hat, filled my pockets with travelling chips and dialed the <laughs> sass up to 11. <laughs> 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 I'd show those other detectives how to do it. They wouldn't know what hit them, brackets. It was me, closed brackets. <laughs> In. 
Gret Bidgley from The Adventure of the Car in Someone's Sitting Room. <laughs> Chapter only. Gret solves the case immediately and makes everyone else look stupid. <laughs> Gret Bidgley strutted sassily into the stupid posh person's living room and wasted no time in dropping some truth bombs. <laughs> There's a car in this room, he said, because there was a car in this room. We're aware of that, said Detective Inspector Turtledove. We're here to investigate the death of Lord Mortimer. Right, and where is this Lord Corpsimmer? said Gret, who always had a great death pun up his sleeve. He's under the car, said Turtledove. Good, good. Then I'd like to posit the following theory. This man died because a car is on him. <laughs> this man died because a car is on him. Case closed. Time for a celebratory milkshake. Has anyone got any cheese? You misunderstand, said a mustachioed man with a pipe. The mystery is how the car got in here. How a fellow could be fatally run over while reposing in his own withdrawing room. Who are you? said Gret. And why do you sound like a time-travelling Victorian nonce who's come to the future to shag small boys? I'm planning to arrest him for that later. Look, I wrote myself a note. Arrest Plank for time noncing. I'm not a time nonce. My name is Adalbert Plank. I'm a consulting detective for the London Constabulary and... Pillock, said Gret. <laughs> that's what you are, and that's how you should introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Adalbert Plank, Pillock. Now, <laughs> now I know everything I need to know about you. In fact, I know more than I need to know because I don't care what your stupid name is. Ooh, wicked burn, Gret. You're so salty they should put you in a bag and call you crisps. <laughs> <laughs> Gret gave himself a high five. <laughs> <laughs> then turned his back on Adalbert Plank with the intention of never talking to him or thinking of him ever again. He found himself face to face with another idiot. Mm. Why aren't you wearing any trousers? Gret demanded. <laughs> My father always said the best way to get the measure of a man is to give him a gun and a sick dog, then leave him alone for an hour. When you return, you'll know exactly what kind of man you're dealing with. That was just before he shot my little sister for sneezing. Who's this Twazek? And why are his nipples standing to attention like generals? <laughs> the name's Jack Pistol. P.I. Oink oink. <laughs> the name's Jack Pistol. P.I. Oink oink. Lady Mortimer employed me to break this case wide open, like a suitcase that's locked. But I'm there breaking it open with a hammer or something. It wasn't my best simile, but when the chips are down, sometimes you have to bite the bullet and swallow the whole barrel of monkeys. I told you, Tossers, to stop fucking narrating, said Turtle Dove. We're supposed to be working out how that fucking car got in here with no sign of damage and nothing wide enough to drive it through. Oh, that's obvious, said Gret. Mm. What? said everyone else in the room. Yeah, I mean, there's literally only one way it could have happened. What are you, idiots? Pray tell, Mr Binchleaf, if indeed you have it deduced, how could this most peculiar circumstance arise? Well, look at the evidence. There's skid marks behind the car showing that it appeared in the room over here. There's splinters by the fireplace. There's scuff marks on the skirting boards. And there's a rectangular impression on the carpet. And look, over here, I think, 
Yep, there's a fleck of blue paint. What does it all mean? said Splotson. A TARDIS did it! <laughs> <laughs> said Gret. <laughs> Clearly, Doctor Who parked her TARDIS over here on its side by the looks of it. Then she drove that car out of the upended TARDIS and hit Lord Mortimer while he was enjoying an afternoon sit. Mm. There you go, said Turtle Dove. <laughs> I told you he'd solve the fucking case. Time for a pint. <laughs> but this is preposterous, cried Adalbert Plank. You can't honestly expect us to believe that the answer to this mystery is the Doctor Who did it. <laughs> you don't have to believe me. I'll call her. <laughs> Gret pulled out his time phone and called Doctor <laughs> A few moments later, a wheezing groaning sound filled the room <laughs> and a blue police box appeared, accidentally crushing Splotson and Jake Pistol to death. But who cares about them? There were too many fucking characters to keep up with anyway. Right. Oh, fucking hell, Dev. I've been having a fucking brilliant TARDIS adventure, <laughs> me. I fucking love TARDISes and adventures and humans are great, aren't they? Do you lot want to be my new best friends? Brilliant. Let's go on a fucking space. It'll be fucking great. Doctor Who, did you murder this man? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry about that. I was just having a laugh driving cars about. <laughs> I fucking love cars, me. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember when I was John Pertwee and got the fucking yellow one? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> right, Doctor Who, you're coming with me. I'm arresting you for the murder of Lord Mortimer and taking you to space jail. Oh, no, not again. Fucking hell, Dave. <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after, except for all of them. <laughs> the end. Listening to this episode of The Worst Writer in the World. If you'd like more, go to patreon.com forward slash manbycow where you can get more audio entertainment than you can shake a pig at. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> bye bye, Milk. Bye bye, Milk. He's a stupid, suckass, rubbish writer.